Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Staples show and we have a, a very very special guest we are honored to welcome this man because not only is he one of the best play-by-play voices in sports but he's also a star of primetime television and if you're watching tv on wednesday and i hope you are because this podcast drops this wednesday he's gonna be on one of my favorite game shows ever joe tessitor joe before we talk about any football any holy moly, I have, before I ask you any Rob Riggle questions, I need to know about the $100,000 pyramid. Oh, the $100,000 pyramid, if I don't win on Wednesday, it's so funny because my, my daughter's a freshman in college and she doesn't react much to anything I do in my career. But the fact that I'm, I'm sharing part of that hour with Mario Cantone because she now has rewatched all Sex in the City. Uh, the fact that I'm on $100,000 Pyramid with Mario Cantone is the only thing I've ever seen her get excited about in my entire television career. So I, I got to ask, because obviously we'll take people behind the fourth wall magic of television. You've recorded this, but you've also been on other episodes as well. You were on with, with Tiki Barber before. When you have your back to the contestant and you're giving clues and, and you know that you've given the easiest clue in the world, and they just can't get it. What does that feel like? So it's funny, Andy. I don't know that I get so I get way into game shows. I love game shows. And because of my, you know, my side hustle of doing Holy Moly on ABC now for years, you know, I've had the opportunity to be on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune and $100,000 Pyramid and all this kind of stuff. There is nothing like the opening round of $100,000 Pyramid compared to getting to the winner's circle. In that opening round, when you're the one giving or getting the questions at the table, you're like, this is so easy. I'm dominating. I got this all day long. But when your back is to the pyramid and they're giving you the questions and they're sitting on their hands and they can't be expressive and fill in the blank, bro, it is brutal, like the pressure, and they're playing the heartbeat music in the studio, <laughs> so they're stressing the pulse pump of the music. It's, I said this straight here. So you actually hear that in the studio? Oh, Andy, they over, it's like the embellishment of the clock ticking sound, the embellishing heartbeat music. I got done with the episode against Tiki Barber where the guy who I was paired up with, we made it to the final round, to the final top of the pyramid. I had tw- I had like 29 seconds left. That's a layup in the world of $100,000 pyramid. That's like you're on the goal line first and goal and you've got a bruising eye formation. And I couldn't get it. I said, to Str- like, I needed counseling when Strahan and I were walking back to the green room. Like, I was a mess. That stayed in my mind for weeks. I was ready to write the guy a check 
It was so bad. What was the answer? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me relive this? The answer, <laughs> things you make a wish on was the category that I couldn't get. So I mean, the guy, Did he say a star? Know, I mean, I, but that's hard. That's very hard. Yeah, you guys like a, a star, star. An, an eyelash. Go back, go on Hulu and watch the episode because what happens, and Strahan told me afterwards, Michael said to me, here's the problem. If they say something early on that gets your mind going down one road. So he said a flickering star or something like that. And, or he said something about a star. And I said, wishes on that shiny. So all of a sudden I'm down the flickery shiny. Then he goes birthday candles and I'm still on flickering and shiny and bright. And I couldn't get off of it. I couldn't get the things you wish on. So I never anyways, would have gotten that. Now, there's, there's no chance. Now, oh, now I need therapy just to get through this week. Now I'm anxious about this airing on Wednesday again. Oh, man. But anyways, it's a lot of fun. But it was brutal experience I, losing. <laughs> I, I Listen, I finished third out of three on an MTV game show during spring break. My freshman Did year. Did you college. really? I, I've, I have experienced the pain of defeat. When, when you have to walk it, across that stage. What was the MTV game Idiot show? Savants. It was Idiot Savants. It was a very short-lived game. It was a trivia show. Um, you know, if, if they had a question about human anatomy, they would have a model come out in all spandex, and she would point to a part of her body, and you had to, to say what it was. I mean, it was, this was 90s MTV, so it was very edgy and uh, yeah. aimed at the college student. Uh, I right. wish I'd been on remote control. That would have been better, but that show was yeah. already canceled by and I suppose Adam Sandler. It wasn't like, on to I suppose it wasn't like the questions weren't like, what was the final score of the Fiesta Bowl in the 90s when Nebraska kicked Florida's ass? It wasn't stuff like that. 62 to 37, but no, that was not the, 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 the question. Yes. Let uh, me ask you something. <laughs> would you marry right now? I'm going to put you on the spot and make this game show. Would you marry yourself to 62? To, it definitely was 60-something. Do you think it was 37 on the other end? I believe it was. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ahead, marry Google myself right to that now. because you I was, a, I was would a senior. Marry, would, you, would you put a bet right now that you got that right? 62 to 37. It would be a small amount. I don't remember scoring that much. I don't remember. It would be a small amount. Bet on if I, gave you I was in high school. I watched, I watched half that game during my shift at Champ Sports in the mall. So um, oh, then you definitely, you, yeah, I think your 62 is right though. I think they did score 62. It was definitely 62. Hold yeah, on. Definitely now, 62. now we got to look it up. Now we got to Go look, look it up. Here we go. All right. The final score and the internet the is failing you right is, The final score of the game was 62 to 24. See how it lost. 62 to 24. Wow. Wow. Yes. Now, I give you a lot of ask me ask me the score of the the Sugar Bowl the following year because that was the team I was part of and I am very I, I have a ring with that score on it. So I can tell you that score very easily. It was 52 to how 20. How cool. Yeah, how cool is that to be able to say that? Uh, it's, it's funny because when I talk to people like, so for those who don't remember the 96 football season, that was my freshman year. And so I was a walk on at Florida. We lose to Florida state in Tallahassee. And that was a great Florida state team, the incredible pass rush. And a lot had to happen to wind up playing them again in the sugar bowl for the national title. The most important thing that had to happen was Texas had to shock Nebraska in the first Big 12 championship game. And mm-hmm. so the, the, play, the play that made that game, won the game for Texas, was, it was called Roll Left. James Brown was the quarterback. He's now known as the godfather of roll. And the I was inter- 
so they, they had to knock out Nebraska and a couple other things had to happen too, but that was the key moment. And so I was interviewing James Brown for a story about, I think it was about athletes who serve as athletic body doubles in TV and movies because oh. he was, he was on Friday night lights playing that voodoo kid when, when, wow. that's how when long Coach Taylor that has, was. yeah. When coach Taylor has voodoo transfer in and, and voodoo's competing for the starting quarterback job, um, that's the one. So he was playing that guy. And I said, did anybody ever reach out to you and, and ask if you wanted a Florida cha- national championship ring? Because I, I can tell you right now, you deserve it more than I do. You had more to do with it than I did. So you can have mine if you want it. He's like, no, no, I'm good. But I, I was, well, that's th- nice yeah, that if- you say that Andy, because as somebody who, and I had left the year earlier, but as somebody who was roommates with all the 1993 Boston College players who beat Notre Dame. I always say that to Florida State people from that year. Are you going to be sending any of the rings to the BC guys who beat Notre Dame for you when they were number one in the country? Absolutely, because that 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 made it that and that still blows my mind. And and you know we can get go down the old system rabbit hole all we want, but yeah, because it was so definitive. You know Notre Dame beats Florida State in the game of the century, and Notre Dame's you know on pace to win the national title, and then boom, they lose to BC and it's over. It's just, it, was, it was crazy. 1996, so 1996 is Danny Warfel winning the Heisman, right? But 1996, mm-hmm. right. I can remember being, you know, such an in-the-weeds college football person. I remember, you know, beating the drum that Orlando Pace should be getting all the Heisman votes. Orlando Pace is the best player in college football. Oh man, and he and, and he might have been. I mean, Danny, he Danny was, was he was the best player. But, in but among the offensive linemen, like obviously we wanted Danny to win. Yes, but it would have been really cool to us had Orlando Pace won. Yes, because... and Danny's one of the great representatives of the sport and had a wonderful year and obviously a championship team is just as good of a representative of college football as as you can possibly have. But I do remember. Many people feeling Orlando Pace at that moment, at that level, was the most dominant force in college football. Wow, we can get lost in the weeds a little bit, can't we? When we're this deep into a podcast talking about $100,000 pyramid strategy and knowing what happened in 1996 in the sport. But Joe, that's the beauty of a podcast. See, we're not mm-hmm. on radio. I don't have a producer in my ear screaming, go to break, go to break, go to break. So I don't have to, I don't have to stay on track. But I, I probably should ask you about your, your, your day job. A little bit. We, we, we will have to get to Holy Moly because that's a big show in my house. Big show. And I, there's some double entendres that I've had to ex- Are there ever? avoid explaining. Mm. I, I blame Riggle. But let, let's talk about your day, Doug, because you just came off one of the incredible scenes in college football. And that was Arkansas whipping Texas, just destroying Texas. And you guys, you and Greg McElroy, just captured the moment perfectly because – that was we, we were trying to figure out what that's the biggest Arkansas win since. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure it maybe back in 2006, maybe when they were winning the SEC West. I, I don't know if there's a game. Right. I mean, that, the McFadden teams obviously to. had some great. Yeah. Um, listen, it's significant in so many ways. And one of the things we talked about last week as a crew is. It was it was a very, very unique game because it was this rare convergence. And I think I said this at one point during the broadcast, but it was one of these rare convergences of the past, the present and the future that only a college football rivalry can produce. Because 
The past is you have two teams that started playing in 1894. You have two teams that have a grand legacy of Southwest Conference rivals and are foundational college football programs of the history of the last century. 1969, the Richard Nixon declaration game of Texas being the national champions. 1981 of Lou Holtz beating number one and thumping them all the way through what we now know is the modern day conference, you know, splitting apart and expansion. So then you have the dormant rivalry that every so often would come back. And in those moments, it would come back, whether it was 2004 or the Texas Bowl and borderline erotic Brett Bielema Maline. And when it does, it's really, really special. Then you have the present, which is two programs feeling like they're working their way back, but there's still heat to it. And then you have that all sprinkled with the future because the announcement this summer that the rivalry is going to be full go again as conference rivals. So it was very, very unique. And then cap it with the fact that it's in Fayetteville. And Andy, the sport has its top tier rivalries that we all know and love. But somewhere just below that, you get rivalries like this where one team hates the rival more than they like themselves, that is Arkansas, Texas. That's yes. what that is. So, and, Joe, we had an entire yes. episode of the podcast this summer about this. David Ubbin and I talked about this. David grew up in Arkansas, yes. and he was trying to explain the hatred for Texas. And I said, how is it that Arkansas has not really developed a hated rival in the SEC? I mean, maybe LSU, kind of Mississippi State, but not really – and he said they just can't stop no. hating Texas. No, it's here. Yes, it is truly this. And, you know, and listen, we've both been blessed to, been, to have been both, um, you know, covering games, around games, at games, where it's a great rivalry. And you can start to breathe it in on Thursday. And then, wow, on Friday, there's heat coming off of it. Like it's like standing too close to an active volcano. And then you wake up on Saturday morning and you just you step out of the hotel and you now you can breathe it in. Like now you're like, ooh, it's in the air. That's what Fayetteville was like starting on Thursday when you're passing the Baptist church that replaces the sign with the hate Texas, beat Texas stuff, you know. That's what it was like Friday all afternoon. Wait, so, wait, wait, so, so, they, 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 they pulled no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, and added beat Texas? Yeah, it's, you know, like the eternal message, you know, maybe blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's like beat Texas. You know, it's that stuff. And, you know, you get all of that. And then the shirts, you know, the, you know, the, the tuck Texas and all, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, the horns down everywhere you go. And it just, it just overtook. But on Saturday, on Saturday morning, Greg and I went over to see our, our brethren over at SEC Nation. Place was electric already. I mean, the place was off the rails already. Um, and Texas was stepping into a spot where it, you know, those games we talk about, Andy, where it almost didn't matter who was going to take the field that night. They were going to get snow plowed. Like it, it almost didn't matter. That's by the time you got to kickoff, that's what you were dealing with. It, 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 it was amazing because it was so thorough a beating. And, and I'm a big Sam Pittman fan. I, I wrote a huge story on him last year. And uh, just any time a bunch of offensive linemen call the AD and say, that's the guy, you should always listen to them. That, that's what happened in this case. Hunter Yurichek was not even thinking about Sam Pittman. And Travis Swanson and several other former Hogs offensive linemen called and said, Hunter, this is your guy. And he wisely listened. But I, I've just been amazed since he took over 
at the, the voodoo he's worked on their mindset. Because this was a team that didn't win an SEC game in 2018 or 2019. And here they are just destroying a pretty good team. Yes, there's a, there's a culture fit that works at Arkansas that you can go back through time and say, when they win, what are they? What's their identity? What's their culture? And it is exactly what he is, right? It's blue collar. It's tough. It's run at you. It's act like hogs. And now when you infuse his humility and his gratitude into the equation where he's so deferential to his coordinators, he's such a player's first kind of guy. And to your point, and I, because he toiled as an offensive line coach for so many years and is better known in recruiting circles and uh, among our type, like, you know, college football insider types, I don't think the national media or the, um, not in national media, the, the, the fans who would consider themselves national college football fans, they don't really know him. Would you not agree he would be on our very, very, very short list of most likable coaches in the sport? Oh, absolutely. And, and I remember when he got hired, because Sam is not a self-promoter. Right? You, you know no. this as well as I do. There, there's a bunch of assistant coaches out there who will call and text and DM and, and you know, they, they want you putting your their name out there. They, they want to, they want to get in line for a head coaching job. That was never Sam Pittman. So I remember when he got hired, it was, Oh, Sam wanted a head coaching job. Oh my God. He's going to be awesome. Mm. Yeah. And so far he has been, I mean, just to do what they did last year for this team to now already be ranked and have a signature win. And then the style points of how they did it. It's remarkable. Um, one thing we brought up during the broadcast I thought was very evident, as much as the culture, the identity is what, you know, running for 340 yards against Texas, smashing in the mouth, all that. The quick turnaround is because they have gone out and recruited speed. I mean, they got guys who can fly now. They got 10 three yeah. guys who ran 10 threes in the backfield, and they got guys who can run. And that showed up on Saturday night. So I, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite attributes you have as a broadcaster and, and because this is something that I don't think people think about very often but your recall is very amazing and it it actually earlier this season worked its way into the broadcast and and probably saved somebody a lot of grief when when you know, they got some but they would have gotten a lot more so I want to play you a clip from from your past before we we, we talk about this one so uh, we're going to we're going to listen you will probably recognize it once you once you hear yourself start yelling so hold on one sec here's McCaffrey giving way and it's a reverse back to Hogan how about this from Stanford he did he it. catch that pinned against the defender's back that is utterly incredible Francis Owusu that may be the play of the year so far who is the guy from Alabama pro throw, pro throw. that's exactly what i thought <laughs> So you, you were on with Jesse Palmer. Uh, this was an incredible catch where a Stanford receiver uh, has the ball pinned behind the defender's back and it, very reminiscent of the Tyrone Prothrow catch against Southern Miss in 2004 that you got to that immediately. It just adds so much. Stanford UCLA on Thursday night. That was, yes, I remember that. That, that was tremendous. Absolutely tremendous game.
what I think is so amazing about it is the recall to the pro throw catch. Well, I think you possess that too, Andy. I think, listen, I think college, I think most hardcore college football fans, and it's the thing that I actually like about our sports say, oh, you have great recall and you remember everything. I said, listen, I mean, if you hang out with Reese Davis and Chris Fowler and and all of us who have just been embedded in this sport now for three decades, I think all of us are the same with that. And that's actually when you cut to the core, probably because of what we love about the sport. And that is nothing's a throwaway. Everything is significant. It, I mean, I hate to say this uh, because it's the thing in America that has the most eyeballs, is the biggest, but a lot about the NFL is disposable, right? So the, the grand unfurling of the NFL on opening weekend is wonderful. Is there anything five years from now that's going to be remembered in the NFL? Is there anything that a fan base or the media, or that America's still going to be talking about five years from now, 10 years from now. I'm two weeks into my college football season, and I guarantee you, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, people are still going to be talking about, you remember the night Mackenzie Milton came into the game against Notre Dame? Do you remember that magical? Now, Florida State may end up sucking this year. I don't know. I mean, the thing against Jacksonville didn't look good. Who knows what kind of state? It's not going to matter, because at that one moment of time, it was significant. It was magical. And that's what college football does. Years from now, Arkansas fans are going to be tailgating and say, remember that time we kicked Texas's ass up and down the field and how good that felt that year that they announced they were joining the SEC? And we said, welcome to the league, guys. That's what happens in college football that doesn't happen in pro sports. In pro sports, it's transactional and disposable. In college football, it's legacy-defining, it's myth-making, it's magical, and it's remembered. And that is why I think so many of us, you say, oh, you have great recall. You're able to say, oh, remember Tyrone Prothero and the catch and what happened there the moment you see it happen in another game. Yeah, because we're all attuned like that, because these are the things that stand the test of the time in our sport that don't in other sports. Well, and there's something else from that that night in Tallahassee that, that people are going to remember. And I think I think you saved Brian Kelly a lot of trouble. And obviously he got criticized for what he said in the interview with Katie George, where he was trying to to say what John McKay had said, but didn't understand that you have to be set up to say what John McKay said. And but you instantly, as soon as they throw back to you from the interview, you go, he was trying to replicate the John McKay line from 1976, the Buccaneers. And I'm trying, I, I, when, as soon as you said that, I was, my first thought was Brian Kelly needs to send Joe Tessitore a Christmas basket every year for the rest of his life. Here's Katie with coach. Thanks Tess. Brian, this game had it all. Yeah. What did you think of your team's ability to withstand Florida state's impressive comeback? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Well, for those who know their football history and trivia, way back in the 70s when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wore those creamsicle uniforms, John McKay, who had some of the great quotes, was the head coach of those dismal Buccaneers. And he was once asked what he thought of his team's execution. And he said, I'm in favor of it. Well, I, listen, I think for those of us at a certain age or those for us who just are football nuts, 
you know, as soon as you hear, you know, are you in, you know, what do you think of your team's execution? He tried, the problem was he tried to do the question himself and the answer instead of, you know, Katie didn't right. ask him the setup. So um, that's not where Katie was going with it. So well, K- uh, Katie was not told she was expected to be the straight person in this, correct, in this right. joke. So. Yes. So, you know, and as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, if to my mind, it's the creamsicle uniforms, McKay 76. And McKay was masterful with the quips and quotes and stuff like that. And I knew that it wasn't delivered in a way where people would understand. So that's why I tagged it with that. And I think I said, for those of you who are football historians or trivia nuts, obviously he's trying to call back upon McKay 76, the horrendous Buccaneers teams that wore those creamsicle uniforms. When he was once asked, what do you think of your team's execution and simply responded, I'm in favor of it, tongue in cheek. So now clearly Twitter then had that ammunition and still decided that we are going to explode, that we are going to, because um, but, that but the went thing on is, for I mean, this is, But this hours. is an understanding of, of how many people you're talking to. And that's the part that, that would intimidate the hell out of me. Because I, I don't have the ratings in front of me. I, well, it was on that, that moment, was at that moment, nine million people. It was, yeah, it yeah. was 8.8 watching on linear ABC. And they estimate, you know, on, you know, eight figures going, to, you know, 10 million more when you do the out of home and the streaming. So I, I think it's very fair to say it's over 10 million people were watching that Katie George interview live. <laughs> and, and so. When you explain that to 10 million people, I think that that changes the the tone and the tenor. Even though, yes, the internet did explode, but but can you imagine if we point, did, if we didn't do that, what the internet would have done? Because they would probably think he's literally. Well, it would have been saying. terrible. Yeah, yeah, because because the context would have come later, and it would have come from you know in kind of drips and drabs from people like me who I recognized it, I tweeted about it immediately, right. but that's not going to that many people. And and I'm curious, is it is it in the back of your mind how many people? you're talking to do you have to stay cognizant Never. of that or is no. that something you have to put no. out of your mind no it, it doesn't even I, I don't care if i'm broadcasting you know live to tape to nobody and it's post edited or if i'm broadcasting you know uh, nfl playoff games i've done with 36 million people or you know uh, you know college bowl games i've done with you know tens of millions of people or the, the triple crown on the line with big brown on abc with 20 but that never you know, it doesn't matter if it's the biggest shows I've done in terms of viewership or nothing. It's just you're just doing your job. I, you know, you know this because you've been to my home and you've been around my family. You know that I'm the son of a large of an Italian immigrant and come from a large Italian family of immigrants in New York where everybody was in the food business. And I always say it's akin to say my uncle Mike, who was an Italian baker, who I would visit after school a lot, and he would be sitting there frosting an Italian wedding cake with the most detailed precision of every, every piece of frosting, making an ornate rose and the lattice work. And he's doing it while he's spinning the cake, looking at me half the time, you know, and the frosting's going, you're like, how is he possibly doing that? It's just when it's what you do, it's what you do. Like you, you're not nervous. You're not thinking about it. This is what our expertise is. I would be more nervous speaking in front of four people at a dinner talking about physics or biochemistry than I would be speaking in front of tens of millions of people talking about college football. 
Well, it, it, but I want to take people behind the curtain on that. So I, I have been to your house, and, and the time I came to your house, I walk in the door. Your wife was nice enough to pick me up at the train station. Uh, walk in the door. You and Brock Hewer, this is when Brock still worked at ESPN, uh, you had done college football live that day. And you and, and Brock were on the couch going back through the episode, and you were like a coach with the clicker. You're rewinding, you're fast forwarding, you're showing, okay, now here we could have done this better and, and this, this transition didn't work. And it was impressive because I think most people think we just flip the mics on or, or we just flip open our keyboard, tap, 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 and, and done, and, that's, and never think about it again. But you were, you were working on the craft and trying to help Brock, who at the time was still somewhat new to it, work on his craft too. Damn, we are old when Brock was new to TV. Are we? He's on this. Brock's well, on like his can, can we talk about? Can we job. talk about that night? Can we talk about that night though? So uh, we I went to your brother-in-law's a, uh, restaurant. I would say, first of all, the food was obviously excellent because my brother-in-law is an award-winning chef, so we knew that. But in, and by the way, Lou Dahl's restaurant, in North Haven, Connecticut. But um, I would say, in terms of quantity of quality food, I don't know if I've ever seen more food consumed at one table than what was consumed on that single night with the crowd we put together for what was sort of our preseason pre-college football bash of the of the late summer right it, it is one of one of the great nights of my life although one of what a night of great shame because i don't get out eaten very often no and you Rock don't Heward has a hollow leg like the, he does so the the arancini I, I arancini, went overboard yeah, on that. Yeah, because, yeah no, arancini, uh, yeah, see, yeah, yeah multi-bene yep. arancini, yeah, Sicilian rice There you ball. go. Yeah. So I went overboard on that because the sauce that your brother-in-law put on those is still the best, what do we call it, red gravy? What, what, what do we call no, it? No, no, no. I think he, he probably made, um, I think with the arancini that night, he may have made a, a puntanesca sauce, a red puntanesca oh, sauce with the capers and the olives okay, that, and the garlic and peanut. That makes that makes sense. It it had a little more pop to it. Yeah. So th- I couldn't stop eating that, and then the braised short ribs come out. Oh. And they were trim- there at the end of the night. There was a bowl of braised short ribs, and I wanted so because they were so delicious. I wanted so badly to eat more, but my I, I thought I was <laughs> going to explode, and Brock Heward looks at me, goes, you're not? Really? Just like with disgust in his voice and reaches and grabs the bowl and just devours them. I've never been more ashamed. He did it almost the way like a prize fighter looks at his opponent the day before at the weigh-in. Like with a look yes. where I'm looking <laughs> through you. It was, it was amazing. But... well. Yeah, I, I, I have not lived that down, and every time I talk to Brock, every time I see him, I, I'm reminded of my, my, my own failure. But that's all right. It's, it's, it's pushed me as I've gone through life. Um, but it, yeah, that was – so I met your kids that – and this is another how old we are. I yes. met your kids that night. One is now – A graduate <laughs> on student. On the football team at Boston his, College. Yeah, playing his final season yes. for Coach Halfley, a graduate student. Yeah. And one is a squash player at UVA. That's yeah, a freshman. Uh, yeah, the, Mr. Mr. SEC has two ACC athletes. Yeah, go. F- I said Jim Phillips came into the booth week one, and uh, we had a nice talk about being a parent in his conference. But yes, that is 
two ACC athletes in the family, which all you need to know about that is I married the best sports DNA that I could possibly find. Thank God for their mom. Uh, Rebecca's a great, great tennis player, and uh, both kids obviously take after her. Well, and, and you've you've had occasion to call Boston College games, and the, I think yeah. what everybody remembers is is the Clemson game last year when John was involved yeah. in, a, in a trick play and, and drew Clemson out. Now, did you have any idea? Had he told you, Dad, this is something in the, it's, that's in the works? Keep your mouth shut if you see this formation? Or was that a complete surprise to you as you're calling it? Yeah, so, and as you know, I coached John for four years of prep school ball. So we're very, very, and then during COVID, uh, when everybody was sent home, I was on the field with him from March of 2020 until they went back to training camp. So, you know, as a father-son, we are way, way in as football geeks. So we talk special teams formations. We talk operations. we, We sit with stopwatches. We talk everything from the nuances of holding to kicking to punting. So, but the week when I broadcast his games, and it's happened twice because they were on ABC last year, twice against the top 10 North Carolina team and the number one team in the country in Clemson. We always, we make a decision that we don't talk football those weeks, that he is not a player of a game that I'm broadcasting and I am not the broadcaster of the game. So, you know, the postscript to that story that everybody was very touched by the week that he pulled off the trick play against Clemson is that once he settled down outside the locker room, because that kid gets hot as a hornet when, and especially that game, they lost late and, you know, they were up by 18. Um, he paused, took a de- deep breath and he turned to me. He's like, Hey dad, he's like, uh, man, I'm sorry. I couldn't tell you that that was on. I had it in the playbook all week long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but as a play-by-play guy, if you were tipped off that, hey, anytime we're fourth and five or less, you know, have your head up and look for this. And if you see this person playing the wing, you know, you know that it's going to be on. And I, I, I should have known because of a certain tight end that was in the game on the near side who had also been on the same prep school team. But anyways, he didn't tell me a thing, Andy. And um, he got me good. He got me real good because I almost came out of my chest for that one. Yeah, and it was interesting. It was it was strange hearing you say Tessitor. Because... I felt like I had to. I felt like I had yeah. to because well, yeah, you, you know what like, happened. That's my boy. <laughs> yeah, but you know what happened, Andy? And thank God it did happen. So you know, John played every position in football, and he's kickoff, punter, kicker, holder, quarterback, receiver, safety. So Halfley in game one of the season, I was doing I was doing Forest State game on ABC. And I was watching John's game before the game, and I noticed when they came out for their first field goal that he lined John up in the shotgun as a court or the first extra point. He he went mm-hmm. Chip Kelly. John was lined up in the shotgun the whole day as the quarterback because he you know they do muddle pods, and if the numbers are there, John snaps and either runs quarterback draw. If the numbers are on the outside, you know, he'll throw the screen. If the offensive line is outnumbering guys, he'll throw the screen to the wing, or he'll draw them back in. The offensive line comes back in off of the pods look, and they kick. So I I already had it in my head, oh, I got to be aware of this. I got to watch every kick this year because who knows what they're going to do. But then when they did North Carolina and playing against Mac, who Mac has also known John since John was five years old, you know, he's grown up around him, um, of course, the same stuff happens. They score against Max North Carolina team, and here comes John. Well, we were in a replay, 
So I'm saying, oh man, now I'm live on ABC and it's against Mac. And, they, and my son's out there with a center, with a wing, and he's in the shotgun. And the rest of the team is all the way over to the left side. I go, this damn kid's going to snap the ball and make me say his name on national TV against my friend's team. Right? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and just as the last second of the replay wipe stops, I see him wave the offensive line back in, and they kick. And so he put me in that position where I had to think about what would I say but I didn't have to say his name. So I went through that whole game, not having to say John Tessitore, but it put me in position where I was prepared. All right, well, what if it ever happened? And in that split second, I said, just call it like he's any other player. Just call it like it's stable staples or Heward or McElroy. Just he's another player on the team. What does it matter? It matters a lot, but in the moment, yeah, you, you got to do it. That yeah, way. Right. <laughs> Let's go from your kids to my kids, because please, my kids were talking to their friends. Oh, uh, I want to say it was was in the spring of last year, and one of one of my son's friends says, "Hey, we've been watching this show called Holy Moly. Yeah, they're all on demand. You can watch them all. You guys should watch them." And so I come home one day, and both my kids are cracking up watching Holy Moly, and I, I go, "You know, I know one of those guys." And my my son Will is like, you do, you know Ron Riggle? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't know Ron Riggle. But but I, I I am curious about the difference in because you are you know you we just talked about you you've broadcast games for millions of people, but it's a different audience in prime time, and mm-hmm. and your face is actually much more prominent. Yes. On holy moly than it is when you're doing a game because they, they're cutting to you and Rob all the time. How how much do you get recognized now from holy moly? Oh no, it's it's um listen, we're very, very blessed. Um it, it's to the point now where it's become in my career um probably the thing that brings me the most joy because families, kids I was at a party last night where an older woman, um, I came back from doing um, the Arkansas game to mail at my house from people just how much happiness as a family to watch TV together. When you work in primetime entertainment and then you do something that's really a comedy show at the end of the day, just masked as um, extreme mini golf. But it's a it's like we're doing a buddy comedy, a one hour buddy comedy on ABC. It touches people differently. It affects people differently. Um, The star of the game, the star is the game when you're broadcasting a game. I'm not looking to be the star of an ABC college football broadcast. I want the game to be the the action to be the score to be the star of the action, the drama to be the star. But when you're doing primetime entertainment, you quickly realize that you connect with the audience in a far different way. And then when the show's been on now, you know, we've, we've, we've filmed season four when you start, when you got the momentum and the promotion, it's, it's, it just touches my heart that, you know, a kid like Will Staples, his friends, families get together. It's multi-generational. It's, I get recognized more than anything, restaurants, airports, just any, anywhere because of that show now. And from anybody I know, see the college football crowd, Andy, you know, if you're, you're traveling through Atlanta airport, you're at certain places in college towns, you, you get it, right? You know when you're going to be recognized. This is anywhere, anytime. 
it, it, it is amazing. And now, how many how many parents do you get like me who are like, hey, did you have to call that one hole the pecker? Yeah, and he, does every single line that comes out of Riggle's mouth when they're yeah. playing the pecker have to be about the pecker yeah. and not necessarily? Yes, it does. The yeah. hole. Yeah, and you know, Rob's done a great job of teaching me the nuances of buddy comedy, um, and it's been great because. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had the one space themed hole called Uranus and, yes. you know, it had certain channels to it and then holes to it and whatnot. And, you know, he's just such a master craftsman at being a comedic actor and teaching me how to deliver the lines and the looks and the timing. And, and sure enough, in one of the years we, we have a contestant on Uranus, a ball was lodged up Uranus. <laughs> Uranus. And, it, and yeah. And, the, the guy we make fun of on the show, Course Marshal Joe and Course Marshal Colin, and he had to stick his hand up Uranus and pull it out. And I'm telling you for a fact, it is so much fun to do the show because two grown men wearing really ugly gold polyester jackets from the 1970s that still smell like mothballs, we will sit there and be incapable, incapable of continuing to go on for 45 minutes because tears are coming down our side of our faces of being so stupid. And ABC is putting us on air being this stupid. So we love it. And, and yes, we apologize. I apologize to all the parents out there for the Uranus hole and the Pecker hole and the Buns and Wieners hole and all the, <laughs> but the ratings are great. Hulu numbers are through the roof and we're making kids laugh. So, so be it. I have one question. If we, if we can go really behind the curtain of Hulu. Yeah, man. What's in the mugs? <laughs> so the two, <laughs> the two mugs that are on the desk, because we've, now everybody thinks that there's Blanco tequila in those mugs because of the stuff that comes out of our mouths and how absolutely loopy we get as we film it. The reason we get loopy is because we film it from seven o'clock at night until five thirty in the morning, and we are sleep deprived. And, and it's cold. I can holes. see the breath. Yes, yeah. we are out. We're an hour north of LA, and we're in Santa Clarita in the mountains, in the valley, at a, on a ranch. And it drops about thirty degrees. It'll get into the high thirties, and you know there's a lot of moisture in the air. It's cold and it's damp. It's like a Sinatra lyric, and we end up just mainlining espresso. I mean, I start with the espresso and I do not stop. And I mean, you need toothpicks holding up our eyelids. But, um, you know, we start with Pellegrino and then we move to espresso and then Rob gets into his, you know, gets into his Coca-Cola and it's over. I mean, the caffeine rush and the sugar and we start popping Reese's pieces and M&Ms and Nutter Butters. And it's just gets so sideways. Joe, I can't thank you enough. I want to make sure everybody uh, understands. Andy, I'm not even how much... sure that we did. We even discuss what game I'm doing this week. Well, that's what I was about to say. I, I was going to say hundred thousand dollar pyramid Wednesday. Yeah. Holy, Holy moly. moly Thursday on ABC. Valley. Yeah. Thursday at eight and Eastern. Then, and then Michigan state at Miami on Saturday, which I am very excited about. I, before we, we started recording. Yeah, What's your you, read? I, Give me your 30 seconds on Michigan state at Miami. I am really starting to believe in Mel Tucker. Uh, I thought it was interesting last year, as bad a roster as he inherited, as bad a situation as it was where Mark D'Antonio didn't decide it was time to leave until right right at signing day. And so Mel Tucker is the latest hire of the year. 
has no time to do anything before the pandemic hits. The two games they win are Michigan and Northwestern, which says, huh, this guy can get people up for big games. And then he has a chance to actually you know, have his strength coaches work with his players and, and recruit out of the portal to kind of spot fix some places. And all of a sudden, they look pretty damn good the first two games of this season. I would not be shocked if the Spartans go down there and win that game. Yeah, listen, I think they're a great example of what you can do in modern-day college football that you couldn't do even a few years ago, that you can reshape a program and a roster because of the transfer portal and because of, obviously, they're very, very well coached. Um, I think it's a significant game because what it does is it advances Michigan State so much sooner than you would have ever thought, and they would go to 3-0. and And for Miami, it's a huge game. Because we talked about Miami all offseason as the debate as to who's the second best team and who's the trendy pick, who's the who's the second best team in the ACC. And you know that they have a, a very talented roster that's ready to win now. And I think it's still all ahead of them. Like, I still think the best of Miami is, is to come. Like, we're going to see a really good stretch out of Miami this year because of so much talent right now. In don't, don't let what you saw against Alabama – color your opinion of them absolutely not Alabama does that to people they now, do that to everybody the, the question, I, I hate to I hate to bring up another Brian uh, Brian Kelly quote but they do that to everybody like what's like his post his Rose Bowl postgame quote right so what's different there yep um and then App State when you you App State off of Alabama it's just a bad scheduling mess because you know App State's going to bring it the way they're going to bring it and, and and they've got talent at quarterback and then you find some grit and you get something done late against App State but Miami can't lose this game if they're to be the Miami that they're supposed to be. And it's a good game against the Michigan State team that's playing really good ball, who, by the way, has scored 75-yard touchdowns on their first two plays of each game this season. <laughs> it is crazy. Peyton Thorne, interestingly enough, it's not the guy out of the transfer portal starting no. at quarterback. No, it's Thorne. It's, it's the, the more homegrown yeah. guy. Right, right. But I listen, it's the ABC noon game. I think it's a nice way to start the day. Um, so we're going to go down there and we'll have some fun and it'll be good. And, you know, I love myself some South Florida, so that'll be great. Yeah. I, I imagine there will be another Joe at Joe's stone crab at some point in the next, next oh, few days. Please. So that is, oh boy, have the cash ready for that place. But that is our favorite restaurant in South. Florida. Well, let me, let me give folks a Joe's stone crab tip though, which I'm sure you already know. Cause you've been there. There's fried chicken on the menu. It's like six bucks. Just order it to go with your stone crabs. Don't, that's not your meal. But the owners wanted to have something affordable on the menu at any given time. They did not want to be completely out of reach for every person who, who walked through the door. And so there is fried chicken, but it is amazing fried chicken. So you're going to get your crabs and you're going to have your drawn butter and all, all your bib on and your, your, your claw cracker and all that. Just get an order of fried chicken, too, if you go to Joe Stonecraft. And, and then the other helpful thing, I'll give you one other menu recommendation there. And my family always laughs at me because I go overboard with this. I have for years loved the broiled tomatoes with the spinach and then the melted cheddar cheese over the top. Like, out of control how much I love that app there. It's another, like, $6 appetizer there. Oh, I could it, it, eat those all night good. long. I don't even like kind of plain tomatoes, but with the with the cheese and the uh, the spinach and all, it, it's 
it's good. It is very, very good. So, and then, folks, if you do go, please understand the system the way we do it down in South Florida. You, you don't grease the maitre d' on the way in. You grease, it used to be Bones, now it's Eddie. You grease Eddie on the way out. <laughs> Words of wisdom from the man who's seen it all. Joe Tessitore, you are all over primetime, and then you're coming at us at noon on Saturday. I cannot wait to watch. Now I, I've set my DVR for the for the pyramid because I need to see if you can redeem yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you know I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I listen all the time, so it's a thrill to be on, and I thank you for even thinking about me. Let's have another great weekend of college football. Yes, sir. Thank you, Joe.